636, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. We have survived Snowmageddon. Uh, you just you just knew after the relatively mild winter, except for a couple weeks stretch in what January or so, you knew that we were going to kind of get hit one more time. Still, not sure that you expected it was going to be quite that bad. But I just this time, 24 hours ago, we were looking at delays on the roads, 90 minutes to get from Brown Deer Road to downtown, and then later on in that morning, that huge what 60 plus car pileup out uh, in the Slinger area off of Interstate 41. Um, wow. Just just incredible. But we pretty much have dug out. Interestingly, um, East Coast, and this, if you watch the TV news tonight, this is going to be the dominant story because blizzards or major snowstorms that happen in the Midwest or flyover country, that doesn't get big attention. But big storm hits Washington, D.C. or Philadelphia or New York, particularly New York. And then um, that is the huge story. But it looks like they're going to get a bunch of weather today as Mother Nature does not go quietly into the good night. Good news is at this time of year. It's not followed up. A lot of times in, in January or December when we get the huge snowstorms, it's immediately followed up by the, the really bitter. I'm talking about 5 and 10 degree below zero weather. We're, we're not going to be getting that. I mean, tonight it's going to be down into the teens, but it's going to be into the 40s supposedly by Thursday or so. So we're going to lose a lot of the snow that we accumulated. And as far as I'm concerned, that is a good thing. But if you're an outdoor enthusiast, go for it. All right, we start off this program like we start off every program, a segment I call Three Big Things. Things I think you need to know about to discuss at work or at lunch or with your friends or at the gym or whatever. Big thing number one, and it is the dominant story of the day. The Congressional Budget Office estimates on the effect of the Republicans' repeal and replace Obamacare bill. The headline is... Health bill would add 24 million uninsured. So that's the, that's the headline. The Congressional Budget Office saying if the Republicans follow along the lines of the Paul Ryan plan, 24 million people will be uninsured over the next few years by um, actually by 2026. So in essentially a decade, 24 million people will be uninsured. That is, of course, what is drawing the headlines. Oh, this is terrible. All those evil Republicans are once again going to be forcing people not to have insurance. We have to stop this. Now, the subheadline that isn't getting anywhere near as much attention in many, many reports is that the proposed plan would save $337 billion, that is in B as in billion dollars, over that same period of time. So a huge savings of money. But the supposed trade-off is 24 million more people are going to be uninsured. Where does that 24 million people come from? Where, where is that estimate? And if you just hear this, you probably think, oh, these are all these people who needed insurance, who got covered through the Affordable Care Act, and now are going to be tossed off the Affordable Care Act. That's, that's, what, that's what you might think. Actually, the details are much more telling. That 24 million people figure is based largely on individuals who now are required under the law 
to carry insurance or pay a penalty. Under the Republican proposal, you would not have to have insurance. So the vast majority, not all, but the vast majority of that 24 million figure are people making the decision voluntarily to be uninsured. Now, the the hope is because of the way they deal with pre-existing conditions, pre-existing conditions being uh, people who, you know, you, you are you don't have insurance and you get a diagnosis of diabetes or you get a diagnosis of cancer or, or whatever pre-existing condition and that being then it becomes difficult or if not impossible for you to get in insurance pre-existing conditions is a big deal insurers have to cover people with pre-existing conditions but under the republican plan what would happen is the way they would encourage people to voluntarily get insurance is that if you drop insurance and then you develop some condition, you're going to pay substantially more once you come back into the system. But you don't have to have insurance if you are one of those people. And can I see a show of hands? I know there's a lot of people out there for whom you don't think it makes sense to have to buy the insurance because the insurance costs you fifteen or $16,000 a year. It's got a $10,000 deductible, and you believe that it's just easier and better for you to essentially self-insure. So a lot of this $24 million are people volunteer, will be people voluntarily making the choice that they, they don't want to participate. 414-799-1620, that is the Econet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, 24 million people, but many of whom voluntarily making the decision that they do not want to participate. Is this a reason? Is this a reason to scuttle the Republican bill? Or should people have the right to decide whether or not they want to have health insurance? This is about individual choices. And if you decide, based on your individual circumstance, knowing the different consequences, that you choose not to participate, should you have the right to do that? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. Should you have the right to essentially say, I, I don't want to have health insurance. It doesn't make sense to me. I'm willing to take my chances and... If I end up getting sick, I understand that I'm going to have to pay more to go back onto a plan. Should you have the right to do that? We discuss next. 843, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Eight forty six, Jeff Wagner, six twenty WTMJ. Ryan and Fond du Lac sends us a text. This is ridiculous. The liberal media looks for anything they can to get people riled up over something that has no reason to be a huge issue. Of course, millions of people are going to be uninsured because they don't have to worry about a fine at the end of next year if they're not insured. Another text: Yes, you should have the right to choose. No question. That's why that's the this twenty four million number. It is large. Twenty-four million people will lose insurance under will be uninsured under the Republican plan. Well, it's not that they don't have access to insurance. It's not that they don't have access to affordable insurance. It is that there's no longer going to be that mandate that requires them to have insurance. So, for again, the the person with the the family who is generally speaking healthy, who sits there and says, you know what, I would have to have, by the time I pay my premiums and my deductibles, I'd have to have over $25,000 in medical expenses in a given year before you know the insurance would kick in. So I'm going to make the decision to essentially self-insure. Yes, th- those people would drop off. 
Why shouldn't they be allowed, be allowed to do that? Tom in Watertown. Tom, you're first. Good morning. Morning, Jeff. Uh, I'd say that they should have to have health insurance, just like you have to have auto insurance. You can't drive a car and all of a sudden at the last minute have an accident and say, now I need auto insurance. They're not going to cover you. Well, but of course, the difference is it the, the auto insurance that you are required to have is liability insurance if you hurt somebody else. You're not required to carry collision insurance that, you know, uh, so, I mean, if I'm driving my car, the law doesn't require me to carry collision insurance that, you know, replaces my car. It requires me to carry, again, liability insurance if I hurt somebody else. Yes, but if you're hurt in the same accident, you end up going to the hospital with no insurance, you're ending up paying that out of your pocket. So the thing is that if you're, if you're sick and you go to the hospital and you have no insurance mm-hmm. somebody has to pick up that tab well if you right if but if you go if you go to the hospital and you have insurance but you've got let's say you know your your deductible is $8000 or $10000 or whatever it's going to be you're going to still be the one that's picking up the tab for that but your the thing is if you have no insurance mm-hmm. somebody else is going to have to pick up that tab for you well, somebody, but somebody's going to have to pick it. I get Tom. I guess see, somebody's going to have to pick it up. You, you let's say, let's say you are making the decision to be uninsured, um, and for whatever reasons you are, you are uncollectible. You know, you're somebody's going to have to pick that up, anyways. Look, I mean, I I understand. I mean, the argument behind Obamacare was that we we spread out the costs by forcing people to have coverage. And so as a result of that, um, it, it's not the hospitals getting stuck as much. It's everybody that essentially gets stuck by the people who go into the emergency rooms. See, part of this, I guess I don't necessarily buy the assumption that the people who make the decision that they are voluntarily going to be uninsured are going to be the ones that are still now pouring into the emergency rooms. The people, I think, who are going to be the ones who choose to be uninsured aren't going to be the people at the low end of the economic scale who get the subsidies. So so the insurance is essentially free to them. The people who are going to be making the decision to go uninsured are the middle class who right now are the ones that are getting killed by the Obamacare premiums because they make too much money to be able to to qualify for subsidies to get their insurance costs underwritten. So they're paying for everybody else's insurance, and they pay – so much money that they never really get their deductibles back. Uh, that's that's it. Now, look, I am not arguing that people shouldn't carry insurance. I, I mean, I think that that is a smart decision to make. But again, if I'm in that situation where I'm the, the it's the family of four, you're making ninety grand a year, so you don't qualify for the subsidies. Your health insurance premium is I don't know two grand a month with huge deductibles, and you're just simply saying, hey, it just makes a lot more financial sense for us to cover our medical costs out of pocket. I mean, that's that's where I think the the real that's where I think when you look at these uninsured that's where it's going to be because again the lower income people they're still going to get their insurance paid for by the government they're not going to be the ones who are dropping out of this they're still going to have that available to them let's talk to Terry in Richfield Terry good morning good morning um I just want to say that, I mean, I work in the healthcare field. We cannot refuse anybody to come into that hospital right. for care. 
And there's, I can't tell you one time that I think a hospital bill is $8,000. It'll be way more than that. So if people aren't carrying insurance, who's really footing the bill are the hospitals. I mean, we don't get reimbursed half of what the actual cost of that hospital bill is when you look at what Medicare even pays us. People need to be insured. They need to contribute. And I think if people have the choice to not contribute, they won't until they have that catastrophic accident or they get deathly ill. And now it's the hospitals that are footing the bill. It's why your hospital bills are so outrageous. Well, well, under the under the Republican plan, if you do get that cat, if let's say you made a decision to drop insurance, if you do have that catastrophic diagnosis, you know you you can go back on. You just have to pay a, a higher premium, I guess. See, I I think Terry, what what the false assumption is, is that the only the the people who are going to be going in and using the emergency room services are going to be people, or or the hospital services are going to be people who don't have the ability to pay. I think what you're going to see is just a lot of people who just make the decision to essentially self-insure. So you guys build them anyways, and then you turn your collection people loose and, you know, they, they collect money. Well, but I mean, even your emergency rooms, I mean, they're, they're full. And most of these people truly could be getting care right. at like urgent care right. or doctor's offices, but they're in the emergency rooms because they don't have insurance. So that's where they go. I mean, go to any emergency room with children. Oh my goodness, it's crazy. Well, and, and, but again, but that see, I guess that's that doesn't that doesn't solve the problem, right? The, the, the people, the my guess is the people that are doing what you're talking about are people who, again, I mean, I don't, when you say you don't have insurance, I don't understand. Right now, the law says you have to have insurance, so it's. Uh, you know, it, it's not people who are really probably voluntarily uninsured. It's just people who've, for whatever reason, decided that even though there's subsidies, subsidies available, that they're not going to sign up. Well, and that could be. Yeah. And then, but there's still no funds using the services. Well, I know. So I, right. I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. But I'm just saying. I think. I think somehow allowing people. I do agree with the fact that people need to pay insurance in order to pay that pot to pay for, you know, uh, the whole point of it. Well, well right. And I, see, and I, right. I mean, yeah. Thanks for calling. See, and I, I mean, I get the the idea of, of insurance is that you have a, a, a big enough risk pool. So you have healthy people, you have sick people, and you have healthy people that are paying in, and they pay enough to cover for the, the, the sick people. So, I mean, I understand that is the premise of insurance. Now, this plan, though, it it does it by voluntarily allowing people to make the decisions and then saying, hey, if you get sick and you need to use the services and you come back in, you're going to end up having to pay a higher premium. I am certainly not advocating people go without in- insurance. But at the same time, you know, is this really a gov- – should this be a government – should this be a government mandate on on this entire thing? Um Let's see. I have an email, a text here. We are a family that is not insured by choice. We use alternate medicine and have not been to the hospital. If we go to the hospital, I know my risk of picking up the tab. And, and we have six children. Um, again, I'm not advocating no insurance. I personally think that that would be irresponsible. I think that the idea of the idea of low-income people, you know, they're able to, to sign up. They're able to get it essentially a taxpayer cost. But is this a matter where people should have no choice? Now, I appreciate 
that, you know, for automobile insurance, and that was, it's a good analogy, but it's not actually appropriate. The automobile insurance you carry covers, it's not health insurance, it's liability insurance. It covers somebody else if you hurt them. Um, you still need your own insurance if you want to have your car replaced. I mean, it's so it's it's kind of apples and oranges. In any event, this is the debate, and that's that's what's behind this 24 million number. It's not people being thrown out of insurance policies or programs. It would be people, typically probably younger people, typically healthier people, who make the decision to go without coverage. 855, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Let let me just add one final point to that discussion. For everybody out there that thinks insurance should be mandatory, health insurance should be mandatory, fine. But then here's the reality. Right now, there is a requirement that you carry insurance. Lots of people do not because the penalty for not carrying insurance is so very low, what, $2,000, $2,500 or whatever, that people make that financial decision exactly like I was talking about. They make the financial decision, I'm not going to carry insurance, and now when they get sick, they can jump onto the Obamacare program after six months of a, of a waiting period or if it's in one of the open enrollment periods. So it's, what we're doing now isn't working at all. So you either go to a voluntary-based system that gives people more options, or what you need to do is substantially, I mean substantially, increase the penalty for people not carrying insurance. I mean, raise it to $10,000, $15,000 or whatever to really force them into the system. Because right now, yes, there's a rule, but the big loophole is one that you can drive a truck through, and that... That is, I think, is one of the things that is driving our costs up because you're supposed to have insurance, but if you don't, you pay a small amount of money. Then you jump right back on when you do get the catastrophic thing. What we're doing now isn't working. It's 9 o'clock. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 909, Jeff Wagner. Hey, Jane, do you ever um, – I, I, I just get these I get these solicitations all the time. Do you ever get this stuff from, like, classmates, you know, your, your height – like – this company called Classmates, you know. Oh, sure. Class of mm-hmm. Jane Matinee, class of whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, and I just, I never respond, but I'm on some mailing list. It's, I just got this one, you know, Jeff Wagner, class of Nicolay, whatever. Um, we, we now have reproductions of your high school yearbooks that you can you can buy. Really? Yeah. That, do, you, do you still have your high school yearbooks? I do. I do, too. <laughs> I don't I do. know. Not, it's not that I look, sit around and page through right. them often, but but I've got them. Yeah, no, I, I have I have I have mine too. I don't need to. But I, and and every once in a while, when some of my high school friends and I get together, it's yeah, you kind of you kind of pull them out and you sort of look at remember, that. And, remember so and so, and remember so and so. Right, or it's, it's more like, gee, remember when gee, I had some hair? Yeah, right. Well, <laughs> wait a second. <laughs> Wait, not, no, 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 just in general. Okay, okay right. In general, I was going to say, you know, it's, it's okay. See, that's one of the standing jokes in the Wagner family because my brother, who is a wonderful guy, um, he's seven and a half years younger, and he never hesitates to tell people that he's seven and a half years younger than me. But but what I've got on him is he lost his hair at a relatively early age. So if you look at the two of us, hair, you know, hair makes just such a big difference. Sorry, I'm telling the story on the radio, Scott, but I, <laughs> I, I listened to your podcast the other day, um, you know, it, ah. like three times in the podcast. My brother, who's seven and a half years older nice. than I am, you know, so it's like, okay, so, but he lost his, but it, really, it's amazing what a difference it makes because, you know, so got that going. But no, right. I just got the solicitation for the yearbooks. Then, so you got yours too. I do. 
Yeah. Now okay. I want to see your senior one. Bring in your senior one, and I'll bring in my senior one. <laughs> take was, a look. <laughs> that, that, might, okay. that, that might be something we have to do during the morning show, or maybe over cocktails in the <laughs> afternoon. Even better. <laughs> that's it. I, all right. That's, I, don't, I don't need it. I bet a lot of people have that. Okay, we are right in the middle, uh, moving back to more serious issues. We are right in the middle of our three big things. Big thing number two. I mentioned this at the end of the show yesterday, and I, w- I was really I was swamped with emails and texts about this. Uh, the controversy over the EPA chief, Scott Pruitt, is not dying down. Now, the, we, we've all heard, first of all, it was global warming. Now we've moved away from global warming. Now, now it is climate change. And the big, there's a couple big debates that go on with regard to quote unquote climate change. One is whether, one is how big a problem this really is. The earth goes through different cycles. I mean, where I am sitting right now at one point in time was probably a glacier. You know, and, and so that and that's and that was so we we've had this this evolution over time. That's that's number one. Number two is if you accept the idea and the notion that the planet is getting warmer, you know, what is really the cause of it and how big a deal is this? Now I am not a climate change denier. What I am is I'm not a clim- I'm also not a climate change e- extremist. Now we have more people on the planet than ever, which means you know, more people are breathing, more people are using resources. And as you have more countries becoming more industrialized, there is more use of fossil fuels, there is more generation of, of CO2, carbon dioxide, and carbon dioxide is the, the gas that produced when you burn fossil fuels that uh, traps the atmosphere, so that's that's why you know people believe carbon CO two carbon dioxide contributes to global warming, and and I think actually that that's that's probably true. It it is a factor. The question is, is it the only factor? Is it the exclusive factor? And how big a deal is this? Well, anyhow, Scott Pruitt, who is the um, new head of the EPA, goes on CNBC, a program called Squawk Box, late last week, and he says. We need to continue the debate and continue the review and analysis over climate change. He says, I think that measuring with precision human activity on the climate is something that is very challenging to do. And there's tremendous disagreement about the degree of impact. So, no, I would not necessarily agree that carbon dioxide is a primary contributor to the global warming that we see. And, of course, once he says this, for the people for whom global warming is a religion, they, they just go absolutely nuts. Hair on fire. His office, and this was sort of a, I think, maybe a prearranged sort of thing. It was kind of the, the astroturf. But, but his office um, receives essentially the, the high volume of complaint calls um, blow Blow the phones off off the hook. Fill up the voicemail box. Um, by Sunday morning, calls went straight to voicemail, which was full and did not accept messages. Um, the agency said, you know, we, we've gotten hundreds and hundreds of calls and emails, many of which say exactly the same thing. But people go nuts because he has the audacity to suggest that we need to study the degree that carbon dioxide contributes to global warming. All right. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage talk and text line. Is this really such a radical position? Now, I, I, I read what the man said, 
And I don't see him as denying that there is climate change or global warming. He is denying or at least questioning you know, how much of it is carbon dioxide and how you effectively measure this. I mean, is, have we gotten to the point that you, you can't even say we need to consider the study as we figure out how to quantify the impact? Because if you look at the different studies that are out there, while most of them say that, yes, carbon dioxide is a leading factor, um, nobody's really able to quantify with any sort of validity, you know, how much carbon dioxide contributes to the rise in temperature in the planet and the the, these forecast models that scientists are setting up are always variable so all right the epa chief was this a huge faux pas a huge mistake when he says well you know we, we need to continue to study the effect of carbon dioxide on global warming 414-799-1620. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you would believe the response from at least some, the answer is, oh, my gosh, how could Donald Trump have appointed this guy? All right. Was his position really that ridiculous? Nine nineteen. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, Kate and Walworth uh, texts. Why would it be wrong to take a closer look? To me, a lot of the climate change hoo-ha, change hoo-ha is propaganda. I mean, it's funny to me how Leo, Leo DiCaprio, cruises around in a private jet but continues to preach about climate change and global warming. Yeah, I guess, see, that's, that's what I think is missed in this discussion. I do, I believe that there, the planet is getting warmer. Yes, but the planet gets warmer and the planet gets colder from time to time. So that that happens. So then the question becomes, how much of an impact are is carbon dioxide having? And given the fact that you have more people than ever, and like I was saying earlier, uh, you've got countries that are becoming more industrialized, so there's more fossil fuels that are being used. Yeah, I mean, I think it is reasonable to suggest that there is probably some influence on the, the climate change. But then the question is, you know, you know, so what? <laughs> okay, so what? How much, how much is it caused by the industrialized nations or more people or, or whatever? And then how big a problem is this going to be? Because, like I say, the question is quantifying stuff. How much of an impact is this? And if you look at scientific models, they are all over the map. When it comes to this is to, all right, carbon dioxide is responsible for, you know, 0.2 degrees increase, whatever that might be, because then it's only if you can quantify it can you know what to do about it or how significant a problem it is to the point that you say, okay, what, we're going to force people to get out of their cars or what, we're going to force people not to heat their homes. I mean, at at some point in time, you know, we can't go back to all living in caves. And I do appreciate Kate's point about, you know, isn't it ironic that you have the Hollywood left, the people who are whining the most about this whole climate change as they jump on their private jets and fly from Hollywood to, I don't know, Brazil to take in Carnival. Big thing number three, and I've been wanting to discuss this with you for a couple days. Uh, The Marine Corps is involved. They are in the midst of a huge scandal. Uh, I think maybe you have followed this before. There there is a, a website that's run by service members. It is not an official part of the Marine Corps, but 
it's again it's a website that people who are in the marines participate in it's a facebook group titled marines united the community has nearly 30,000 members mostly comprising active duty us marines marine and marine corps veterans right what happens is there are a number of photographs of women, particularly female Marines, in various states of undress that end up getting circulated on this website um, without the permission of the women. In a lot of these cases, it's, it's like female Marines who maybe took cheesecake photographs themselves and sent it to their, their husbands, whatever. But, but, but on this site, they get a hold of these things and they start putting them up there. And a number of the women are actually saying that these photographs that were posted of them online came without their their consent. And one of the things that's happening is once these photographs go up on this website, a number of the women have been receiving, I don't know, um, threatening replies or you know uh, solicitations. You can imagine what's out there. And so this has now become this huge scandal. Now, this is not an official Marine Corps website in the sense that it's not it's not something that is formally type sanctioned. But but it is kind of a big deal because now there's all these stories that are out there about, you know, these women, female Marines um, and other service women as well who are starting to become, you know, her, who are harassed. You know, their, their goal was to join the Marines and they say, OK, now we're in the Marines. And all of a sudden this is what ends up happening to us. There are more and more calls for the commandant of the Marine Corps. His name is Robert um, Neller <clears throat> to resign. Uh, let me read you something out of uh, USA Today today. Marine Corps Commandant Robert Neller should be immediately relieved of his command. As the senior leader of the Marine Corps, he is ultimately responsible for the good order and discipline of the Corps, and his willful ignorance of the Marines' escalating abuse of female Marines on social media has allowed um, has allowed both to seriously degrade. Not only does Neller's uh, dereliction of duty warrant his firing subordinate marine corps leaders need such an unequivocal signal that failure to um, exercise their command to safeguard their female members will not be tolerated so a number of people are saying that even though the commandant was not part of this group even though that there's no evidence that the commandant knew that this stuff was going on the fact that it was occurring on his watch in and of itself is enough for him to Essentially, step down, be fired, be let go, whatever. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Big thing number three, should the Marine Corps Commandant be cashiered? Should should he be sent packing because of this ongoing scandal? Or is this a situation where, all right, leadership is at the top, but it's not fair to hold him responsible. He's not one of the ones that was on the website. He's not one of the guys that was posting these photographs. He was just the top of the food chain. Should the commandant be should the commandant be sent packing? I know we've got a lot of military members in the audience, both active and retired. I'm curious. Do you think it's fair to hold the Marine Corps commandant responsible for this scandal? We discuss next. It's 925, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. If you're on the line, please hold on. 
928, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, on our text line, there's one person responsible for the release of the photos and the resulting consequences, and that is the female Marine herself. No, 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 no. No. All right. This Marine scandal is that you have apparently female military members who take photo in, in most cases, I think they take the photographs, although there's some allegations that there were some photos that, you know, were were non-consensual, that they didn't know they were being photographed. But in general, they take a photograph of themselves in a state of undress that they then, it is intended for their husband, it's intended for their boyfriend or whatever. Somehow, this gets on some file-sharing thing, and you have a bunch of lowlifes who decide that they are going to circulate it with the name and the rank and the address of the servicewoman. That is not her fault. I, I mean, look, I, I, Wagner's Rule of Life number six is, of course, unless you're, unless you're a porn star, and maybe even then, it's never a good idea to take nude photographs of yourself. But, but regardless, if you do that as an adult... That doesn't mean that you are giving the right to some creepo who somehow gets access to your information to post it and send it out to God and the world. All right. So, okay, it, 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 I don't know. Is it an example of bad judgment? Judgment for a woman who's deployed, a Marine who's deployed overseas, who wants to send a cheesecake photo of herself back to her husband, who she hasn't seen, you know, in X number of months. All right, may- maybe you can argue. I'm saying maybe. Maybe at worst you can say, well, maybe they necess- shouldn't have necessarily done that. But by doing that, that woman is not giving permission for some creepo who gets access to that to put it up all over the Internet and send it out. Does the Marine Corps Commandant need to go? I'm not positive, but I will tell you, the people responsible for doing this sure as heck do. That's just that's just the bottom line. 935, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The NCAA Selection Committee has seated the Badgers 8 and Marquette 10. Scafidi and Bill stats say that is exactly where those two teams should be seated. They'll explain why later today at 1235. Yeah, I don't know about the Badgers being 8 seed, but my Marquette Warriors... At 10th is about right. I mean, they were 19 and 12, and should be an interesting game. They're playing the University of South Carolina Friday night. Um, South Carolina is a 7 seed. The ESPN power ratings say that Marquette should be the favorite. I don't know. It just depends on it depends on what Marquette team shows up, the team that shoots and makes all the three-point ones and that beats Villanova or the team that doesn't and loses to Seton Hall. So be interesting to see. One final thought on the whole Marine Corps scandal. I have another text. Wagner, if you take a picture of yourself and give it to someone electronically, I don't give a crap who it is. You are opening yourself to trouble. End of story. Well, again, I, I appreciate... That you know, taking nude or semi-nude photographs of yourself is is not a good idea. And but this is, see, this is different. This is different than the teenage girl that that does that, sends the picture to her boyfriend, and he then disseminates it. He's a creep for doing that. And then the other people that pass it on, they, they are creeps. But that's not what happened in this Marine Corps scandal. What happened was women take the photographs. They send it to their husbands, their spouses, or whatever. Somebody hacks into 
their email accounts, their text accounts, whatever. Somebody so this isn't this isn't like the husband or the boyfriend sharing the photo. This is a third party, somebody affiliated with this organization, essentially coming in and stealing these photos, elect these electronic photos, and then putting them up all over. To me the better analogy in this case is let's say you and your husband or you and your wife have some intimate pictures of yourself. Let's say the old style pictures. They are the pictures, you know, in that photo album that you keep in the bottom of the desk drawer or whatever, for, for whatever reasons, okay? So that's it. Somebody breaks into your house, finds the photo album, and then starts disseminating those photos. That's, that is closer to what this is than just, well, you know, somebody shared this. But regardless, if you do that, you're a creepo, and there's just no two ways around it. Do I think the commandant needs to resign? Probably not, but you do need to have an investigation to determine who was it that was illegally getting access to this type of information. Just saying. All right. The controversy involving David Clark, the Milwaukee County Sheriff, and the essentially illegal immigrant advocates is is ratcheting up again. Now, let me back into the story. When I was in the U.S. Attorney's Office, there was about three years where, because of death threats, I carried a gun. This was before Wisconsin had a concealed carry permit law. So you might say, well, Jeff, does that mean that you were illegally carrying a gun? No, because even though I wasn't in, I wasn't in law enforcement, I wasn't a cop, there was a provision of federal law which would allow me to, with the approval of all sorts of people, to qualify to be um, a, a deputy U.S., a special deputy U.S. marshal for the purposes of carrying a firearm. So I had to go through the training. I had to qualify. But I had this card that said that, okay, you're a special deputy U.S. marshal. That gives me permission to, to carry the gun. Otherwise, I, I I wouldn't be able to carry the gun legally, but I had this special approval as a result of, again, going through this process. Now, I bring that up because there are ways that the federal government and federal law enforcement has of being able to designate people to do things that they otherwise would not be legally entitled to do. In my case, it was, all right, you you get to legally carry a, a gun when otherwise you couldn't because you've been designated as a, as a special deputy agent, special deputy marshal. All right, when it comes to immigration enforcement, there is a program that Immigration Customs ICE, whatever you want to call it, has, which allows local law enforcement officers to essentially act as federal immigration officers for the purpose of ferreting out people who are illegally in the country. The program is called 287G, and the story is reported, credit where credit is due, by Dan Bice of the Journal Sentinel. The program is called 287G. It allows officers, and you're talking about sworn officers, county sheriffs, local police, whatever. It allows officers who have been through a four-week training program to interview arrest and detain anyone thought to be in violation of immigration laws. So essentially, if you've gone through this program and you've been approved, you can act as a customs agent. Otherwise, you wouldn't have that authority. 
right now, U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement has agreements with 37 law enforcement agencies in 16 states, but none in Wisconsin. So what what David Clark, Sheriff Clark, has done is he has sent sent a letter asking asking law and federal law enforcement officials to sign an agreement which would give the sheriff's officers the power to perform the function of immigration officers first at the Milwaukee County Jail and then in the community what he's saying for he says hey we we find that there's a lot of people who come into this jail and we we determine that they're they're here illegally and what we'd like to do our jail is always overcrowded. What we'd like to do is be able to act, you know, as, as federal law enforcement agencies for the purpose of, okay, this person is here in the country illegally. We are going to arrest. We are going to detain. Then we're going to turn them over to the, the custody of, of immigration. So that's what he's saying. First, we want to do it in the jail, and then we want the power to do it in the community. Um, predictably, a lot of the usual talking heads are just outraged. Christine Newman-Ortiz, who runs the euphemistically described imminent immigrant advocacy group Vocas de la Frontera Vocas de la Frontera, which is essentially you know, open borders and don't send illegals back, accused the sheriff of trying to grab headlines by entering a program that would allow deputies to racially profile, interrogate interrogate and detain community members. Well no, they'd only be detained if they were here illegally. We promise massive resistance she said in a statement, to resist racial profiling and efforts to persecute and separate our families under 287G. Milwaukee County Executive Chris Abel, who Lord knows has enough problems, he said his office wasn't asked by the sheriff, and he thinks the program is ineffective and expensive. Um, He says, I'd like to see the sheriff spend more time here and working with the rest of the criminal justice community. 414. 799-1620. 799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, is this just a publicity stunt by David Clark, or is this something that, that makes sense? Um, here, let us help federal immigration officials, and if it turns out that we've got people who, for example, show up in the jail, and it's apparent that they are in this country illegally, let my guys or gals have the right to detain them hold them, arrest them, acting as a customs agent, and then ultimately transfer them over to immigration, get them in the immigration system. What happens to them after that? Well, that's going to be up to someone else. But is Clark off base with trying to get his deputies, some of them, as part of this program? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss next. If you're on the line, hold on. 944. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 47, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Two teams from Wisconsin are traveling to play in the NCAA tournament. Eight other teams are traveling here to play in it as well. Get the full lowdown for the Badgers, Marquette, and all the games in Milwaukee in the sports section of WTMJ Mobile. All right, there's this federal program where essentially local law enforcement officers can go through a training program and then be designated as federal immigration officials, giving them the power to arrest uh, people detain people who are in this country illegally. David Clark wants to sign up for this program. 37 law enforcement agencies in 19 states participate. No one in Wisconsin does. He wants to get agents, officers qualified. He wants to start at the jail because what he says is, hey, we've got overcrowding in this jail, and you're not going to believe how many times we end up picking up people who are illegally in this country. Um, we'd, we'd like to detain them. 
All right, good idea, bad idea. Dan and Racine. Dan, you're first. Good morning. Hey, good morning. Hey, I, I would say this is another in an unending list of political stunts by the sheriff. Okay. And the reason I say that is we've got major crime issues in Milwaukee County, in his county. We've got people dying in his jails, and we haven't heard, you know, investigations, um, really any significant investigation output from that. Um, it's time to do the job at home and let the feds take care of their business. Well, but if if we deal, let, let's talk about the jail. If the reality is that you have huge problems with jail overcrowding, which may or may not have led to some of the other issues that you're talking about, and that part of that is caused by people who are illegally in this country who are getting arrested, isn't it doing his job if he has his guys trained or gals trained to do to essentially, hey, we've got somebody who has now come into our jail. They're in this country illegally. Here, we're, we're going to arrest them and then transfer them over to customs. Isn't, isn't that doing his job? I would say that doing his job is to make sure that those jobs are taken, that those jails are taken care of, mm-hmm. but let the feds do the job of taking care of the illegals. And I, I feel like, based on the track record of the current administration, that they're, they, they're on track to do that. So I'd like to see him focus more at home. The feds will help us out here with the illegals to the extent that that's really a problem. But I, I also would argue that Sheriff Clark's credibility on just about every issue is is damaged by his continued political. Well, and I think, Dan, and I, again, I, I think that that's I, I think that's a fair thing. And that, but but at the same time, I, I think you have to the way I try to look at this is I try to to separate. Um, the, the policy from from the guy. I understand David Clark is a lightning rod. I, I get that, and I think some of the criticism is 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 fair. And I think you know the higher profile that he has taken during the Trump campaign and during his speaking tours and with his book. And I, and I and I I understand, and I think that that's it is fair to say, hey, have you been taking? Too much time away from Milwaukee County. I, I think the issues with with the jail, the, the deaths in the jail. I think that's a fair thing to explore. I, I'm not sure it's going to come back on, on Clark, but but regardless, I, I I appreciate those different types of issues. But to me, that's not the fundamental question. The fundamental question is if you have somebody in law enforcement, don't we want law enforcement cooperating? Now, I, I mean, I remember back in the day when I was running the Organized Crime Drug Task Force in Milwaukee, you know, I, I was on the federal level. But we had these joint investigations. We had joint task force. We had Milwaukee coppers. We had suburban police officers. We had Milwaukee County sheriff's deputies. You know, we all worked. We worked in tandem and in consultation with each other. And we had you know, based out of, uh, quite candidly, I mean, based out of offices, the DEA offices, there were there were agents or officers from local police departments that were assigned and, and worked, you know, hand in glove. It seems to me that that's what this is. Um, it's the idea that, you know, you're going to label it a political stunt. It, it's, it's an approved federal program. And to the extent you say, well, it has nothing to do with Milwaukee County, well, I guess I, I disagree. 
if especially if he's going to start focusing on on the jail and if we do agree that jail overcrowding is an issue and if part of the thing is one of the reasons it's overcrowded is you've got people who you know we don't think are legally in this country that are coming into the jail doesn't it make more sense to allow the authorities to at least have some ability to detain them instead of just turning them loose and sending them back out onto the street i mean seems to me that this at least as far as the jail model goes this is a pretty darn good idea now if you want to expand it into the community i think that might be the larger type of question because the truth is that the sheriff's department is not the principal agency for enforcing criminal laws in the state sheriff's department has a number of responsibilities they're responsible i mean you've got the jail aspect of this you've got um, they, they enforce uh, again. They're on. They're doing the freeway stuff. They're doing the county highway stuff. They they have. They're responsible for the parks, but you know, day to day law enforcement that's done by the suburban police officers. So, I mean, maybe you could say we don't need this to be expanded in the community. But at least as far as the plan goes in the jail, political stunt or not, doesn't necessarily mean it is a bad idea. Just saying. It's nine fifty three. Jeff Wagner, six twenty WTMJ. Nine fifty six, Jeff Wagner, six twenty WTMJ. The World Baseball Classic is in full swing, and that means some Brewers and major leaguers throughout the league are away from spring training. Does the tournament do a disservice to teams? Greg Matzik is live from spring training. He picked the right week to get out of Dodge, and he takes a deeper look tonight on Sports Central at seven oh seven. I want to just I want to double back on something I mentioned at the start of the show yesterday. For, for people in the mainstream media who, who get upset when they get criticized or when they get labeled for purveying fake news, my my comment would be, if you don't like the criticism, then don't do it. Classic example over the weekend, this huge flap over Donald Trump firing U.S. attorneys. Oh, this is just terrible. Well, all right. Now it is starting to come out, the point I was making yesterday. This is not something unique in the Trump administration. There are 94 U.S. attorneys across the country in each of the federal districts. The U.S. attorneys are political appointments. They serve at the pleasure of the president. What happens is that when there is a change in the presidency, the U.S. attorneys that are the existing U.S. attorneys, they're gone. They, they know that. That's why out of the 94 U.S. attorneys that were there during the Obama administration, 47 had already resigned. So what happened is last Friday, there's a call that's made to all the remaining folks. And they say, you're gone. You're, you're, you're out. And then what they do is they appoint somebody, a, a non-political prosecutor from the U.S. Attorney's Office, who acts as the interim U.S. Attorney. You would have thought that this was the Saturday Night Massacre, given all the heads-on-fire screaming that w- was going on. And as I pointed out yesterday, what Trump did is nothing unusual. I was in the U.S. Attorney's Office in 1993 when Bill Clinton won, beat George Bush. What happened was Janet Reno became the U.S. Attorney. My boss, who was a Republican appointee, John Fry, one day, you know, he didn't resign right away. He stayed. And one day, and it might have been March, it might have been April, might have been May, but it was essentially around this time, he gets a phone call along with all the other you know, previous U.S. attorneys saying, you're out. You're out at the end of the day. It, it happened 
it happened routinely. It happened when Obama took over. It happened when Clinton took over. I believe it happened when Bush took over as well. But the point is, this is not something unique to the Trump administration. And, of course, the mainstream media runs with, oh, it's terribly fired all these prosecutors without, at least initially, telling everybody that this is just the common way that this is done, and this is how Obama handled it. And I know for a fact, because I was there, it's how Clinton handled it. It is just what happens with these political appointees. And again, it's fair to criticize Donald Trump for a lot of things, but if the media doesn't like being labeled as purveyors of fake news, when you blow up stories like this, this is why. This is why you get that criticism, because this story about a scandal involving dismissing U.S. attorneys, that is the classic example of fake news. Coming up, is there a statute of limitations or should there be a statute of limitations on really bad behavior? We will discuss during our Dealer's Choice segment. It's 959. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner. So glad to have you with us. This is the segment of the program we do every day. I call it Dealer's Choice. To me, it's one of the more talkable topics, not necessarily the most significant topic, but one of the most talkable topics of the day. And today's involves the, the question of, is there or should there be a statute of limitations on bad behavior? I, I want to tell you the story of a, a man who right now lives in Minnesota, um, and he is 98 years old. His name is Michael Karkoc, K-A-R-K-O-C. Now, you might say, okay, Jeff, why, why, are we, why are we talking about some 98-year-old guy that lives in Minnesota? Well, well here is his alleged backstory. In 1949, Michael Karkoc came to the United States from the Ukraine, 1949. Entered this, entered the country, became a, a naturalized citizen 10 years later, lived in, in Minnesota most of his life, worked in the construction trades, um, active in his church, all those different types of things. Like I say, now he's 98 years old and he suffers from Alzheimer's disease. The reason why he is in the news is because Polish authorities now say that this guy, this 98-year-old guy who's been in the country since the 1949, been a naturalized citizen since like late, the late 1950s, they are now 100% certain that this man was an SS commander involved in atrocities in 1944 and 1945 during World War II. Um, the, the allegations are that he was he was a commander of an SS-led Ukrainian, quote-unquote, self-defense division. But it was led by the, the German SS. And, I mean, here's, for example, the way the Washington Post describes something that happened. It's unclear whether the Nazi unit commander knew precisely who had killed an officer in an attack near a Polish village. But there was no doubt about who was going to be punished. In the summer of 1944, the commander turned his attention to civilians in two Polish villages and ordered his troops liquidate all the residents. The next morning, 
allegedly sold. Well, this this happened. I don't think there's any allegedly about this. The next morning, soldiers started setting villagers' homes on fire and then shooting anyone who tried to get away. One of the survivors says you could hear machine gun shots and grenade explosions. Shots could be heard inside the village and on the outskirts. They were making sure that no one escaped. Um, a soldier in the company recounted that he could see the dead bodies of the killed residents, men, women, and children. For decades, the commander who ordered this atrocity has remained unknown. His war crimes unpunished, even as as other Nazis and their collaborators have been pursued around the world. Now Polish authorities say that they are 100% certain that the commander, the person who did this, was this 98-year-old Michael Karkok, a U.S. citizen suffering from Alzheimer's disease who lives in, in Minneapolis. And they are about to extradite him or try to extradite him his family denies the allegations they say no this is not this is not what happened um he did not lie this is this is just it's evil it's fabricated it's malicious that's that's not who my father is he didn't do any of these things prosecutors say no i mean we've We've uncovered evidence that he is the one who ordered his men to attack the Polish village in which dozens of citizens were were killed. We are sure of this. Now, a couple years ago, prosecutors in Germany launched a similar sort of investigation, but then they decided that, um, first of all, they didn't really investigate war crimes that might have been committed in Poland. And secondly, they, they said, you know, he's 90 at the time. He was like 95 years old, severe health problems. We are not going to bring him back. Um, the allegations are that this guy joined the German army after the Nazi invasion of the Soviet Union in 1941, earned an Iron Cross for bravery. He asked the Nazis to form the Ukrainian Self-Defense Legion, which ultimately numbered 600 before it was subsumed into another SS division. The allegations are he served there until the war's end. So here you have somebody who is accused of being essentially an SS commander who ordered the murder of dozens and dozens of innocent men, women, and children. Polish authorities say, we believe this is the guy. We don't care that he's 98 years old. We want him back, and we want to prosecute him for war crimes. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, what should happen in this case? If this is true... And again, his family denies that, that this is the guy, but the, the prosecutors, I think both in Germany and certainly in Poland, say they're 100% sure that this is the guy. Family says it's not the case. But nobody disagrees that he's 98 years old. He has been living in this country since uh, in 1949. There is no evidence of bad behavior in this country. He suffers from Alzheimer's. Should should he be sent back to Poland and tried for war crimes, or is there, should there be a statute of limitations for really, re, even for really, really bad behavior like this? And at the age of 98, can the guy uh, appreciate, is it fair to hold him accountable if he did this decades and decades ago? Should he be deported? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Should Poland be pursuing him after all these years? What do you think? We discuss next. It's 1015. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 
1018, Jack Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Uh, two teams from Wisconsin are traveling to play in the NCAA tournament, and eight other teams are traveling here to play in it. Get the full lowdown for the Badgers, Marquette, and all the games in Milwaukee in the sports section of WTMJ Mobile. All right, if you're just tuning in, here's the deal. Guy is 98 years old. He's been living in this country since he immigrated from the Ukraine in 1949, he's been a naturalized U.S. citizen since the late 1950s, construction worker in Minneapolis. That's the guy's story. Um, there, the Polish government says he was, during World War II, an SS commander who, in 1944, ordered his troops to exterminate everybody in two Polish vis- villages. And this guy was responsible for ordering the death of dozens and dozens of men, women, and children. They now want him back. He's 98 years old. His family says you've got the wrong guy. Everybody says he's got Alzheimer's. All right, should he be sent back to Poland to stand trial, or is this just he's 98 years old, let him go? What do you think? John in Random Lake. John, you're first. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. How are you this morning? I'm good. What do you think? Good. But Jeff, I really believe at this stage of life for this for this man. For this gentleman, it's, it's up to the Almighty to pass judgment and, and give him his sentence. To extradite him back to Poland and go through the trial uh, for a man, especially with his you know health problems, I think it's a it's a waste of everyone's time and money. I really do. It's it's really pointless, in, in my opinion. What if John? Your grandfather or great grandfather was one of the people who was killed in that Polish village. And again, assuming for the sake of argument that this is the guy that ordered that. So let's let's assume that. What if your grandfather or great-grandfather was one of those people that was killed in that village? Um, do you think you might have a uh, maybe a different perspective on it? Oh, I'm, sur- I'm sure the people who, whose families were affected by it do have a much different perspective. But, you know, again, I say I, I just think uh, we all have to answer to our maker someday, and he certainly will if if indeed he is the, right. the fellow they're looking for. Okay, thanks to call. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, is, would it be justice to send him back to Poland at the age of 98, suffering from Alzheimer's, to stand trial? Or is this one that just because so much time has passed that we... You know, just essentially let it go. Our text line is exploding. exploding. Uh, let's see. A revenge is mine, saith the Lord. He will judge. Well, okay, but, you know, we you could say that pretty much about, you know, anything. Is that a justification for not prosecuting people who do all sorts of crimes? Um, let's see. Another one of our texts. Murder is murder, and he absolutely should be extradited and put on trial. Almost every family of those war criminals say it wasn't his family member. Bring him back to Poland. Another text, yeah, yes, this guy still deserves to be brought to justice. 414-799-1620. I, um, you know, I just, and maybe you're going to disagree with me on this, but this is one where I think if Polish authorities feel that they want to pursue this, I think they have every right to pursue it. And, and I, I understand that you get to a certain point, and, and we do this in this country when it comes to, like, these aging mobsters. You, you catch some 83-year-old mobster who's got all these health problems, and you say, okay, it's, it's not worth the taxpayer expense of locking them up. They're going to be dead in a few months, and typically those folks live for a number of other years. But, but I, I do think if this man was really responsible for war crimes, 
if he lied coming into the United States, and, and if he is this guy, he lied getting into the United States about his service record. Lots of people you know, who were the ex-Nazis did that. I, I, think, I think Poland has a right to, to bring him to justice. Bob in Germantown. Bob, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. What do you think? Yeah, Jeff, I'd like to, I, I'd certainly like to hear some opinions from the Jewish community. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, you had mentioned a statute of limitations. <laughs> right. That, that's a non-starter. Uh, and, and I think... Because there is, is no statute of limitations on murder. Yes. No, sir. No. And this, this as you've described it, was incredible. Uh, ship him back to Poland. Right. Um, I, and, I and, then, and then let, and let him try him. Okay, thanks. No, but that's. I mean, and, and then then let if if they want him. Now, again, I I think when you're when you're doing these war crimes investigations, it is perhaps different than when you were doing other sorts of investigations, just because of the nature of of the crime and the commitment that uh, the commitment of so many dedicated people who were who, who were the Nazi hunters who you know. Uh, decided to you know devote their life to trying to right the atrocities that occurred during World War II. Um, let's talk to Donna in Kenosha. Donna, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. What do you um, think? I think they should just let it drop. Okay, tell me why. Well, he probably is an animal, and he's probably guilty of the crimes, mm-hmm. but he's 98. To send him back, um, hopefully his conscience has bothered him enough, and he's suffered enough with his conscience maybe not but mm-hmm. 98 years old i think they should just let it go what if he was 88 i know he's 98 but i'm just curious what, what if he was 88 then i would send him back to poland okay so some somewhere somewhere in that that 88 to 98 range is kind of where okay enough is enough because i mean the truth is how much longer he's going to live i do understand that you... it, it sounds like he's at the end of his life right. to me right. from from the way you're describing oh, I... it so why put him through that um, well, you say, why put him through it? Maybe I, the, the flip side is from the perspective of let, let, let's, let's take the, the relatives of the people who were killed in those Polish villages. Um, does it potentially give them some closure? Is that, is that the answer to why? Because, hey, they want justice for their grandparents who were, or great grandparents who were killed that day. Um, my opinion is that half of them probably forgive him and the other half probably want vengeance. Yeah. So, it, just let it go. Okay. Thank, I appreciate. No, thank. I, that's that, actually that's why I find this to be such a fascinating topic. We continue the discussion next. If you're on the line, please hold on. Ten twenty four. Jeff Wagner. Six twenty. WTMJ. Ten twenty seven. Jeff Wagner. Six twenty. WTMJ. Uh, Jackie in Oconomowoc. Jackie. Good morning. Good morning. What do you think? Um. Hi, Jeff. I was Hi. just listening, and... Thank you. I appreciate I, you listening. <laughs> um, I was a... I'm 31 now, but I was widowed at 21, um, and I had a small child. And so as far as, the, like, getting them back or the families that want to, you know, see justice right. done, right? Um, there was, you know, there was a lawsuit because it was a work accident, right. and um, there was a lot of stuff that happened. But it did take four years for it to come, to go all the way around, right. and to go through. And it was a very trying time also. And in the end, it doesn't even change what happened. Right. So, yeah, the people that the work um, place is going to have to answer for what they did to God, I believe. Right. But 
and yeah, justice, but you're never going to get the justice that you want. Right. So I'm kind of like, he's how old? 98. Let him die. And yeah. he has Alzheimer's. Kind of just let him die in peace. Just let, let him go. Okay, well, I mean, yeah. that, that's, I mean, Jack, I, I don't know that there's a right or wrong answer to this. As a matter of fact, our, our text line is just exploding with people. And that, let me, let me give you a representative, um, sample of some of the text and by the way when you text if you put your name and where you're texting from it just i can i can give you a shout out on the radio um let's see i think it's a ment- it's mental capacity more than his age is a reason not to extradite him if he can't actually answer for his crimes or understand the trial i think it would likely be more painful for the victim's families to detail the atro- atrocities that were there um, courtney and Stephen point says with him having alzheimer's disease i'm not sure what good it is to send him to trial um i guess again i appreciate i appreciate that but at the same time i think that it's a situation where i think the polish authorities get to decide and if they want him back to put him through the the justice system i I think that they should have the right to do it now i do i am sympathetic to the idea that if you're incompetent to stand trial if you really have advanced alzheimer's disease and you have no ability to defend yourself or anything like that you know is is it fair to have you go to trial but but putting that issue aside i guess i don't necessarily have a problem with holding the man accountable Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. He's one of the newest members of the Brewers, and he's expected to be the team's mainstay at first base. Greg Matzik and Eric Thames go one-on-one live from Brewers Spring Training. That's tonight on Sports Central at 6.15. Hondo, this is one of my, who is producing the show today and always, every once in a while, these, these little things that make me wonder. Now, when I do the radio show, I have my cell phone with me. Now, not that many people have my personal cell phone number you do yes absolutely but but i have it with me and i have it turned on but it's on it's on silent i put it on the little desk in in front of me here just because occasionally you know people will text you you know people who whatever people who have the cell phone number it's that not that many you know they, they will text me with things and i want to keep track of it but in addition to that you get these phone calls that come in and they, they don't they're from numbers that I don't recognize so I wouldn't answer them anyways and you're wondering how people got the, this phone number during the break the thing buzzes it's a phone call from Anchorage Alaska now I know nobody you know the number of people I know in Anchorage Alaska it's like zero and the number of people I want to talk to in Anchorage Alaska apologize if you are in Anchorage, Alaska, but the, the answer is, is none. I'm not answering a call from an unknown number in Anchorage, Alaska, but I do confess, and then, of course, there's no voicemail. I do confess that I'm sitting here wondering, huh, I, I wonder what robocall I was getting from Anchorage. I'm just kind of curious. Is this one that says the IRS is going to come and throw you in jail if you, you know, don't send us a whole bunch of money? Um, right. Or, or, Maybe right. Maybe this was the call the Discovery Network wants to hire me to be one of the boats on the Deadliest Catch, or so I can. You can be one of the guys on Deadliest Catch. No, I don't think it's that. But I'm just I'm thinking Anchorage, Alaska. I, I wouldn't have answered it regardless, but I am just kind of curious why why Anchorage, Alaska. All right. If you are a regular listener of this program, you you know that I am I am conflicted on President Trump. I was not a Hillary Clinton person, but I was also not a Donald Trump supporter because 
while I thought Trump would be superior I had <clears throat> to Hillary Clinton, I had trouble with his binary choice argument, and, and I just, there were so many of his individual characteristics that I just, I had trouble with, big trouble with. You know, Ted, the, the, the fact that he would seem to me say anything that came to his mind without regard for the truth of it. I was troubled by some of the things he said about women, all those type of stuff. So it was just, it was the personal characteristics that, that bothered me a lot. He wins the election in a surprise. And my, my reaction was, I want the country to succeed. I, I do. I, I want the country, I want the stock market to go up, I want people to have jobs, I, I want the country to succeed. And so the position I've essentially been in is when I agree with his policies or what he's trying to do, I am going to support him. On the other hand, when there's stuff I don't agree with on policies or the things that I'm going to generally lump into the category of character issues, I, I'm not going to hesitate from, from not pointing out the, the problems. And I also appreciate how difficult it must be to work for Donald Trump because, because can you imagine? I mean, Reince Priebus, you know, from, from Wisconsin, he, he's the long knives are out for him. He's getting all this criticism. People saying he's not a good chief of staff. You know, he, he's running around. He, he's in all these meetings. He, he's trying to limit access to the president, all that blah, 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 blah. Well, the problem is you have a president who is completely and totally undisciplined. And the chief of staff is probably running around, again, trying to put out fires or stop fires from breaking out in the first place. And that's why a week ago, Sunday, I was very sympathetic to these um, aides who, you know, wake up, it's Sunday morning, you're going to have your coffee, you're going to have your pancakes, you're going to read the Sunday paper, maybe you're going to church or whatever. And the story is that at, at 535 in the morning, the boss, in this case, you know, Donald Trump, is creating yet another one of these tweet storms by sending out tweets that say, terrible, just found out that Obama had my, quote, wires tapped, end quote, in Trump Tower just before the victory. Nothing found. This is McCarthyism. And then a few minutes later, another tweet. How low has President Obama gone to tap misspelled my phones during the very sacred election process this is nixon slash watergate bad or sick guy so very significant allegations and you know we talked about this at the time that the president of the united states is accusing the former president of the united states of engaging in either legal or illegal wiretapping of his place of business you know, of, of the current president's place of business during the campaign. That is a very, very serious allegation. And my point at the time was, I don't think you should be saying something like that unless unless you're prepared to back it up, because in all likelihood, it is probably a crime. But, but again, if it happened, it's a big deal. Well, all right, this takes the aides completely by surprise, because they don't I don't think know anything about what he's talking about. He decides not to backtrack, and the media just keeps on him. Okay, what's going on? What's going on? So then the first strategy is we want the Justice Department to investigate this. And when we discussed this, I know there were a number of people who believed, you know, I think there really might be something to this. You know, we, we, we believe this. We need this to be an investigation. All right. Well, the, the issue has not gone away. And so now Kellyanne Conway and Sean Spicer are trying to – are trying to explain what 
the position has been all along. So yesterday, two senior White House officials, this would be Spicer and Kellyanne Conway, suggested that President Trump's claim that Barack Obama had tapped his telephone was not meant to be taken literally, arguing that Mr. Trump had been referring more broadly to a variety of surveillance efforts during the 2016 campaign when he made the incendiary accusation. Spicer says he really doesn't think that President Obama went up and tapped his phone personally. Huh. But but the president, you know, indicated that also they said, well, the fact that, you know, he had he put the wires tapped in quotation marks um, meant that well, he was talking about this figuratively as opposed to literally. Kellyanne Conway, his senior advisor, said um, that Mr. Obama could have employed any number of devices other than a traditional telephone wiretap, even including a microwave oven. Then she went on to say, well, she wasn't accusing him of doing this, um, but et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So they're essentially saying, well, he's used the phrase wiretaps with air quotes, so he didn't literally mean that it was Barack Obama who went up and tapped him, but it was more speaking broadly. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. What's going on here? I, I mean, do, do, you, do you still believe that there is any basis at all to believe that the Donald Trump's Phones were tapped either through an order or an illegal order, or is this just an example of the commander in chief waking up at 535 one Sunday morning with a hair up a certain part of his anatomy, grabbing his phone and sending stuff out? What do you make of this now? Is this a complete and total backtrack or is there maybe still something here? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And perhaps bigger point, would President Trump be better, be better off just avoiding Twitter for things like this? We discuss next. It's 1043, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 1047, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The Brewers face the reigning World Series champs today in Cactus League action. It's Brewers and Cubs live from Arizona. Our coverage starts at 2.55 this afternoon. It is sponsored by your local Chevy dealers. Let's start with Dave in Oconomowoc. Dave, good morning. Hello, Jeff. How Hi, Dave. I'm good. What do you think? Is what, uh, what What do you think? Did, did Trump really mean this when he sent out the wiretapping thing that they're now saying, well, it was in air quotes? What do you think happened? Jeff, I'm telling you, we're dealing with a guy that he plays everybody. It doesn't matter who he's playing, and it's not to the bad side of it. See, what I think it is, is Mike Flynn lost his job on allegations, and then they were after Sessions to lose his job. They were all calling for his resignation, and the media was all over him, Uh you know, to step down, to resign. The day, the, the day that Trump came up with um, the wiretapping deal, it just seems like they forgot about Sessions, and the media has been all over the wiretapping and forgot about Sessions. So, so you, you think this was kind of part of like an, an organized strategy wait, to what? deflect attention away from other issues here? They're not going to be talking about Sessions anymore. They're going to all be talking about this wiretapping thing. So you think he did this in a calculated effort? 
Oh my God! Yes, it's uh, it's all calculated. And why else? Because if he would have lost Flynn and Sessions in a week, you know he would have been in trouble. You know because the Democrats would have really had something against him. So that's what I'm thinking. It's all calculated. And the wiretapping thing is basically he's going to come out and say prove it. You know. Right. And of course, right. And you can't. Okay. All right. Thank. Okay. So Dave says. Dave says it was was a calculated effort. He wakes up at 5.35 in the morning and sends this out and without telling any of his aides. And the idea is this is going to be my way of taking heat off Jeff Sessions, who is getting, you know, these allegations about, you know, did he he meet with Russian ambassadors or not? Huh. I – it did have the effect of taking some of the heat off of Jeff Sessions. With all due respect, I – I'm not sure that this was a, a calc. I find it difficult to believe that this was a calculated effort. I tend to go with my wild hair up a certain part of his anatomy theory, but that's 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 just me. Let's talk to Katie in Burlington. Katie, you're in 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. I don't have a Twitter account, but I find it just verbal vomit. I mean, it's it's. I, I think right. it's absolutely useless. I don't think it befits. The, the position of the president calculated. <laughs> and it's a sad thing that so many people are so concerned about what people are tweeting. Mm-hmm. But I, I truly think it just needs to be quashed. It needs to go away. I, I find it, right. if that accusation has no merit, it's a very serious one. And I don't, whether right. or not I agree with Obama, I think it's completely disrespectful. And the first thing you learn when you're supposedly a victim of a crime is you don't sit there and talk about it. The police won't even talk to you about it. They do an investigation. So it made no sense if he truly was victimized, like he said, to be sitting there and talking about it on public forum. This whole just media frenzy, tweeting, it's ridiculous. You can take a person on their word. And if I'm not going to have, his words are open to interpretation, no matter what they say about microwaves and Right. Right. Well, you see, and I guess that's candidly, I I appreciate why, especially a conservative or Republican president who gets frustrated with the the media, wants to go over, around, under, behind the media to communicate directly with the voters. And to that extent, social media allows you to do that. But I don't get the sense, and, and maybe maybe I'm maybe he, I just do not understand how smart this guy is. But I don't get the sense that this is that. I get the sense that this is guy, some guy who simmers about something all night, gets you know hacked off, sees something on or hears something on a talk radio show or whatever, and has the impulse control of a fruit fly and sends this stuff out, and then leaves everybody else to kind of pick up the pieces afterwards. Can maybe you imagine? A combo been, both. Yeah. Maybe a combo that he he is somewhat off the wall and shoot from the hip. And another thing is that it is true. Look at how media responds to every single tweet the man sends out. Look at social media in general. We feed off of it. We misinterpret yeah. it. We, uh, it's, it is part of our lives right now, and I don't think it's a very productive part. Thanks for the call. Let's talk to uh, Dave in Waukesha. Dave, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, Jeff. How are you? Good. What do you think about all this? Uh, well, first of all, I, I agree with the impulse control, and I don't, don't, it's definitely not a conspiracy theory, because if it was, then he's, then he's, <laughs> then he's, then it's really bad, because half the time his tweets are the things that deflected from good things that he did. Right, yeah. When he, when you step on your message, tweets. absolutely. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, that took away half, how many news cycles on that. But, all that said, could there possibly be something to it? Yeah. And the reason I say that is because is last night um, on uh, Fox, 
they had Dennis Kucinich on there when he was his congressman still. Right. And um, he was wiretapped. He actually heard the tapes, and it's illegal for the for um, the NSA or anybody you know or, or whatever to wiretap a congressman. They can only have the other side of the conversation who mm-hmm. he was talking to. It was regarding legislation, and when Hillary was working on what was it, Libya? I think it was. Um, he was working on legislation to try and block that that intervention in Libya, mm-hmm. and um, he heard the whole tape and he showed redacted statements. And he, the reason he, he hadn't said anything up to this point, so asked point direct, you know, point blank, if he thought this was, this was possible. He said absolutely, which would be you know, if, a crime. Just I guess, but if you're the president and you believe this has happened. Before you send out a tweet like that, or well, at least yeah, contemporaneous exactly. with it, don't shouldn't you have to present at least some evidence as to why well, yeah. you believe that? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it could have been something where he heard something or whatever. Yeah. I, 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 I'll stick with the theory on impulse control. Right. Okay. Fair. No. Fair. No. Thank, see, and I look. Here's here's to the extent that there was wiretapping. Here's what I think possibly happened. And I've tried to explain this before. Uh, the NSA. I, I, they, they they tap quote unquote Russian spies. They got all these court orders, and I mean, look if if you're if you're the Russian ambassador or you're like a Russian diplomat, chances are somebody is listening into your phone conversation. So I and do I think it is possible that maybe some Trump associates, including maybe people who from time to time went to Trump Tower, could have been picked up on some of these intercepts, not because they are the subject of wiretaps, but rather because they are talking to Russians. And I'm not saying there's any – look, I, I as, as far as I'm concerned, I'm not sure I see any smoke, much less fire, with regard to the Russian the Russians colluding with Donald Trump to, like, steal the election. I, I there, There's nothing that I have seen thus far that indicates that happened. It would also not surprise me if – People associated with the Trump organization that is an international company that does business and has interests all over the world, if people associated with Donald Trump might be talking to people who are, you know, Russians who might be the subject of of wiretaps. That would not surprise me either because I get the idea that NSA is listening to tons of people more than we will ever know. So, yes. Could I see how some conversations could be intercepted? I, I certainly could. No, no issue with that. But, see, my, my bigger point on this is it's one thing for a talk show host or a newspaper columnist or a TV host or, or whatever or just an average person to send out stuff where you make inflammatory, over-the-top remarks that don't have a lot of basis in evidence. And, and I'm not encouraging anybody to do that, but it's one thing, again, if you're somebody in any of those categories, it's another thing when it comes from the President of the United States. And while I think social media, again, is a great thing to try to go over, through, around the media to communicate your message, when you when you start saying outrageous things without without basis and evidence, or at least without, and, and, and I will tell you this, that the, the backtracking that went on yesterday, when you now have both uh, Spicer and you have Kellyanne Conway saying, well, he wasn't talking literally, and that's why you had the, the quotations and things like that, 
That's the best they could come up with after a week. That tells me that they are backing off the, the claim, and they're just trying to explain it in sort of general terms, which tells me that there was nothing to it when he made these allegations. Was it part of a giant calculated effort? Is he sly as a fox? Well, I, I guess time will tell. Like I say, I'm sticking with my wild hair theory. It's uh, 1057, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ as well. Uh, just one second. I am being swamped with emails and texts from folks who are in the southern portion of our listening area. And I've been watching this little weather line all all morning. And it appears that it's just been, like, right now it's centered on the eastern half of Kenosha. But it's been in Racine where it is, what would be the phrase, Jane, snowing like heck? Oh, Yes. <laughs> and and it, Jeff, it's been there since we started at five o'clock this morning. It just hasn't. Now it's starting to like actually creep over the lake, but it has been just sitting there for hours. I, 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 just, I have a I have a, a text from Steve. It says um, I'm in Kenosha. It's like a blizzard down here, and that is similar to at least a half dozen types of things. And of course, he, up up here, up here, you know, in in you know central northern Wisconsin, northern Milwaukee. I mean, we're, the sun is shining and it's it you it, you kind of smile, but just a few miles south. So, all right, I just it, it's almost amazing because it appears that there's just that one snow band that is just hanging out. So, give me a report from the front four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line for most of us. Here in southeastern Wisconsin, or most of the people in Wisconsin, the monster snowstorm is gone. I mean, there's some stuff out over the lake, but it's pretty much all over. But if you're down in this one particular pocket of the state, the extreme southeast portion, it sounds like it is snowing like you-know-what, and it has been snowing like you-know-what. And the phrase that I am hearing a lot from people, or at least texting, is it's, it's like a blizzard down here. Is it really that bad? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Because, again, this is one of those situations. Now, last night when I was driving around, it was it was amazing to me. I got in the middle of a... I got in the middle of a of a snow squall heading up I-43 in Ozaki County, and it was like, wow, this, this is incredible. Then you get about five miles west, and it's no problem. Let's see. Um, somebody says, I'm, I'm almost... I'm almost at the freeway, and it's blue skies, 414-799-1620. It's amazing. Greg in Kenosha. Greg, good morning. Morning, Jeff. Okay, uh, is it as bad time, as everybody's yeah. saying? <laughs> <laughs> it's worse. It's worse than that. Uh, there's almost zero visibility. Uh, I was on Sheridan Road on the east side of right. Kenosha, and I'm right on, I mean, I know that road very, very, very well. I travel it every day for work, and I know where the stop and go lights are, and I couldn't see them until I was almost through them. Wow. I've never seen it, it. It's been a long time since I saw something this bad. So uh, last what, time I saw snow this bad, it was in the mountains of Nevada. I was, this is crazy. <laughs> so and it's and and just just so you know, I mean, this isn't the category of like misery loves company, but it's blue skies up here. It, it is perfectly clear. It looks like it looks like a wonderful January day. I acknowledge it's March, <laughs> but you know, but here it's yeah. like blue skies. So you're fighting with essentially a ground blizzard, huh? Yeah, this is pretty bad. I mean, when I shoveled my driveway. I kind of waited to the last minute right. because I knew if I got out there early enough, it would be right back 
right back where I started from. Oh yeah, no. Well, it, thanks. I mean, it, it, it looks like that. it's moving. I mean, thank, I mean, it does. It looks like it is finally moving, but you, it just it appears that that's been 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 anchored there. I. I people are just sending me all these pictures of this um, stuff. Uh, Jeff, I was just shopping at the Costco in Pleasant Prairie. Blizzard-like conditions. I live in Paddock Lake, and the sun is shining. Um, uh, these, these pic- wow! I mean, get the, somebody sent me a photo one block north of Highway 50, one mile east of 94. It, it's it is. It's like a whiteout. It's like a whiteout condition down there, and it, which is. To me, that's the worst things to drive in. The only time I've ever put a car in a ditch, I was driving along a, a freeway, and it, it was a whiteout type of thing. I was driving between – it was in South Dakota, and I, I, was just, I, I couldn't see. I mean, the wind – you had 35-mile-an-hour winds blowing the snow. You just couldn't see. I was behind a truck because that was how you were moving. It's kind of like, okay, I, I can't really see, but I can see the truck in front of me. I'm going to follow him. Truck drives into the ditch. Mr. Wagner drives the car into a ditch behind the truck. It's like, oh, good thinking, Jeff. But it was just so freaky not being able to see where you're going. Paula in Racine. Paula, you're in 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Is it really that bad? Jeff, I just, I left my home in Windpoint maybe about 10 minutes ago. Right. When I saw a break in the sky, <laughs> I thought, I think it's time for me to dash up to work in Oak Creek. Okay. So you've been essentially, you've been sitting at home for at least a while because of the weather. Well, I took off at 9 o'clock this morning or a little bit before that on a route that I travel daily, and I could not even navigate it. And I've been living in Windpoint for 23 years. (laughs) Wow. Well, and now, of course, you know, like I say, what's so wild about that, Paul, is like up here, the sun is shining. It looks like a nice winter's day you know it's actually it's kind of pretty outside with the snow but i'm just watching this this band right right by where you live yes and and when i saw the sun break through the clouds right. i took off <laughs> so a- now i'm on i'm on 38 and g right um headed towards frankville right and uh it's clear and beautiful <laughs> <laughs> it, it, well, welcome to Wisconsin in March, I guess. Huh? Well, thanks. I mean, it's, it's this is it's just it is just wild. Mike in Kenosha. Mike, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. How are you doing, Jeff? I'm well. Okay. What's uh, what's your weather experience today? Well, I've plowed city streets in Kenosha for the last twenty nine years. Okay. And uh, with the exception of that blizzard we had in twenty eleven, right. The visibility this morning was as difficult as I've ever seen it. At wow. uh, ten minutes ago, I was actually—I just pulled off to a side street park because I couldn't see until the cars coming at me were right there. I couldn't see them at all. Headlights didn't matter. Um, I'm really <laughs> familiar with the city streets, having plowed, plowed them for them. thirty years. Yeah, <laughs> and um, I drove through a lighted intersection, and I was halfway through it before. I, I saw the lights and uh, said, this is crazy. Wow. But now that blue sky you talked about <laughs> seems to be coming down from the north. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Come just, on. Yeah, go, go on. That. It was gorgeous, though. I had to say it was a really pretty winter storm. Yeah, except except if you're out there trying to, to do your job, I would guess. It kind of got challenging. Yeah, hey, thanks. Oh, for the, you have a good day. Jeff. Yeah, you too, Mike. Try to make some citizens good, happy now. A- absolutely, Mike. You, you, you go ahead. So that's and again, our that is one of the great things about our Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text line. I'm getting people are texting me 
all these different pictures. Colleen from Burlington, snow line over the lake from Racine County all the way up to Sheboygan and Manitowoc along the lake. Yeah, there is a snow line, and you can see it on, on the radar, but it, it's offshore for most of our area, and then, except Kenosha, <laughs> where it's, and it's been that way all along. So it's... Um, Again, welcome to winter. Welcome to winter in Wisconsin. And um, I, I am not a meteorologist, nor do I play one on the radio. But I think it's going to get better for you folks in Kenosha, just like it's gotten better for everybody else. Be careful. Drive safely if you're out there. All right. Coming up. What's with these 17-year-olds voting? Yeah, you heard me right. Stick around. It's 1116. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJs. TMJs. TMJ. There are less than 100 days left until the U.S. Open kicks off at Aaron Hills. Doug Russell goes behind the scenes. Find out how the golf course is preparing. Check it all out in the Features tab at WTMJMobile.app. And while you are there, um, check out our downloads. You can download podcasts of my program. Uh, I know a lot of people are doing that. So if you can't hear all three and a half hours, you still get a chance to listen to it on your time. So check that out. There's also, you can download the podcasts of uh, Sports Central with uh, Greg Matzik, as well as a number of other podcast shows as well. So check check that all out. Okay. Do I believe that there is widespread voter fraud that, for example, influenced statewide elections in Wisconsin? The, the answer is no. But this story is interesting nonetheless. There are now reports out that in the April, in the April, in the in the presidential primary election, um, there are estimates that that as many as in the spring primary, there are estimates that over 60 17-year-olds voted in the April primary in 29 counties. Now, in Wisconsin, the law is you cannot vote until you're 18. In some states... The law is that if you're going to turn 18 by the general election date, you can also vote in the primary at 17. So if the general election is November 4th and the primary the primary election is in August or whatever, and you're going to turn 18 between August and the date, that November date, you, you are allowed to vote. That's the law in at least a handful of states. It is not the law in Wisconsin. The... Now, apparently what happens is the Wisconsin Election Commission staff is looking at voter fraud referrals from municipal clerks. And what they find is that about 60 cases, at least, of 17-year-olds voting in the April primary in 29 counties. Kiwani County referred nine people to prosecutors for voting as 17-year-olds. Rock County referred seven. Racine County referred five. Um, and... So, I mean, this is a lot. Now, part of the confusion is attributable to our friends at the Bernie Sanders campaign who were sending out national messages on social media that broadly said 17-year-olds were able to vote in presidential primaries. Um, that's that's not true. So the, the idea is that, that they think that um, it, people might have just seen this and so they went out and, and they, they voted without knowing that it was illegal to do that. It appears 
that none of the 17-year-olds who voted, despite not being allowed to vote, are going to be charged with any sort of crime. Like I say, a, a lot of them came out of Kiwani County. The district attorney up there says he chooses not to, he chose not to charge any of the 17-year-olds whose clerk the clerks referred to him. He said they honestly thought they were eligible to vote and didn't intend to break the law. So he says, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give them a pass. So you have all these at least dozens and dozens of kids that end up voting when they're not supposed to. All right, I want to open up the phone lines, 414-799-1620. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I guess I have I have two issues. One is for all these 17-year-olds who voted when they weren't legally allowed to, is it correct to just give them a pass, to say, okay, they, they obviously read something in social media, and so they, they just they didn't realize they were violating the law. That's number one. I guess number two the, the other larger question that's out there is, how was it that these kids were able to vote? I, I mean, don't when you register to vote, don't you have to show proof of age? And is this a flaw in the system that somebody, I mean, we, we have photo ID now. We check that. When I go in, I, I have to give them the photo ID. I have to give them my address. You have to verify that you know you're in the district. But but how do you register for to vote? And how are you given a ballot if you haven't turned eighteen? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this perhaps a larger problem, regardless of what the intent of the kids was? David in Beaver Dam. David, good morning. You're at six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Uh, you know, I actually spoke with my son about this. He actually said he knew two kids that did vote. Um, obviously, I think we definitely need to have better education for our poll workers. Right. Because they shouldn't have allowed this to happen. Uh, the kids, you know, they, they thought they were legal, so I'm not so sure about doing anything right. with them. Maybe a small fine or something. But uh, more importantly, I want to know where it came from. Well, I mean, I think, and, I mean, generally, that, with the Sanders, I mean, the... I, the, the Sanders campaign nationally was putting out all this social media stuff saying, you know, 17-year-olds can vote. And in some then states, 17-year-olds can. But then, then they are the ones who should have been taken and saying, oh, except for these states. Yeah. Um, just like any commercial, you know, <laughs> you, you've got your disclaimer. <laughs> yeah, at the they end. Here, that, yeah, take, yeah, th- thanks, yeah take, take these pills, and then you've got all the disclaimers, except, except, except. Yeah, see, I don't, I mean, I don't disagree. I do I think that the, the 17-year-olds, absent some evidence that there was some organized effort to try to defraud people, do I think it's worth prosecuting them? No. But I, I do think this is the larger question, and maybe I just don't know about enough about the system, but how are 17-year-olds getting ballots in the first place? I mean, when, when you register to vote, don't, don't, you have to, don't, don't you have to give your age, and isn't there some check that tells people, you know, when – when they're 18 and when they're going to be eligible. Let's talk to um, Mary Lynn in Hartford on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi, Jeff. Hi, been, last night when I heard this, I asked exactly that question. Who let them register? Yeah. You're supposed to be able to register if you're, birth, if you're going to be 18 by the election. Right. Right, you so know, you can register, but is there, right, is there no check? Yeah. Blame, you couldn't possibly blame these kids. They go in to register. Whoever does it lets them register. They didn't break any rule. 
Right, and especially if they didn't know that, I mean, if, if they thought that they were doing it. Right, I, yeah, I think that, to me, the more fundamental question is, and again, we're not talking, you know, we're, we're talking 60, maybe there's more, maybe there's, say, 100. So I'm not saying it affected the, the voting necessarily, but I, I would be curious, is this a flaw in the system that you come in, you register, and nobody checks your age? So once they verify that you're going to be 18 before the general election, does that mean that it's just you, you, you can vote without... You can vote at 17. Is this a flaw in the system? It sounds like the people at the at the election place didn't understand the rule either. Um, entire, right, entire, no, thanks. Entirely possible. I guess that's the, if you're looking for a flaw, maybe that's it. Al in Union Grove. Al, you're at 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Morning. I, uh, I, I too, don't think that the 17-year-olds should be prosecuted, but I, I do think there's a real flaw in the, in the uh, at the voting uh, polls, uh, my mother, for example, she and my father, they worked at a poll for years. She was in charge of a poll up into her eighties, right. and I think sometimes, you know, they're nice people, they have good intentions, but they they don't follow through as well as they should. And I and yeah. I think. Yeah, see, okay, I see, I, yeah, I, I, I see, yeah, you gotta understand. I'm not gonna go down the, okay, she's 80, and so maybe they make mistakes. I just, I mean, I don't know if this is a training question, but that's, that's the thing that jumped out at me about this story. Not, do you, do you go after and you prosecute the kids? Okay, again, I, I'm, I'm not sure what that gains. It's probably, it, it's more trouble than that's worth, absent some, like I say, indication of fraud. But, but there is this question. I mean, once you register, do, do we not check on when you're, I, I, look, and I understand, I don't have any problem with registering before you're 18. Okay, that's fine. But do we not check on, on people that are registering um, before they are 18 to make sure that they are actually of age and entitled to vote before they vote? And if you look at this story, the answer to that question pretty clearly appears to be no. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. If you're just tuning in, the um, breaking news out of Green Bay is that Packers running back Eddie Lacy is not going to be back with the Packers. He has reportedly signed a one-year deal with the Seattle Seahawks for $5.5 million. Now, Eddie Lacy came to the Packers out of, what, Alabama, and had a good year or two, but essentially has eaten himself out of the league. Um, he's just unable to control his weight, so he balloons up. You know, he was playing 30, 40 pounds over his targeted weight. You could see that, and of course, when you're, when you're heavier, you're more likely to be injured. I can remember a couple plays two years ago where he's out in the open, and anybody would have scored. Hondo, you would have scored, but Lacey just kind of like runs out of gas because he, he's so out of shape. He spent most of 2016 on the injury list with a foot ailment. He only played and started five games. He missed all the season after mid-October. Uh, I, I, I wish Eddie Lacey well. I, I mean, he, I, he seems like a nice guy. I, I wish him well. It's unfortunate that, you know, he didn't... It's unfortunate that he was injured the last couple of years. It is unfortunate that he, he didn't have the discipline to keep himself in shape. Am I sorry to see him go? Well, not at $5.5 million. I mean, if they could have brought him back for really, really cheap, 
yes, but I will tell you, going into the season, and I'm not one of the football guys. I leave it to Matzik and Doug Russell and people like that. I tell you, and, and do they have a running back shortage? Yes, they, they have to. They got to find running backs. But if my fear for the Packers was that they were going into, if they went into next season, counting on Eddie Lacy to be what they thought he might have been when they drafted him, that it, that would have been insanity. I mean, doing the same thing over and over again and being surprised when the results aren't different. I, I, I hope Eddie Lacy goes on. hope he has a great career, just not when they're playing against the Packers. Hope he's able to come back from these various injuries. Hope that you know, they're able to get him to get into you know shape and stay in shape. But you just can't count on that. You just couldn't account on that. And to dump $5.5 million in that chance, I'd much rather see them draft somebody or try to pick up somebody else. I mean, they need more running backs. But Eddie Lacy, sorry, I wish him the very, very best. But um, that's one where, candidly, I I think it takes some pressure off the Packers because now you know you have to move on as opposed to trying to decide and figure out whether – whether you could rely on him, because the answer is, no, you couldn't rely on him. Um, Just saying. Okay. There's a story out of Madison that that caught my attention, and and it's another one of these stories about really young kids doing really bad things. Yesterday I shared the story out of Milwaukee where you had four people who carjack a victim, stick a gun in his face, steal his car, the police find the car an hour later. The car takes off, tries to run from the police. Ultimately, the car crashes. The people inside get out and run away. Three of them escape. They catch the fourth. It's a 15-year-old kid. Thursday night, 1030 at night, a 15-year-old kid out with three other of his hoodlum buddies, you know, sticking up people you know, at gunpoint. I mean, really? But, again, that's the story. It's the 15-year-old kid that's there. Now, what caught my attention about this story is – A 14-year-old boy apparently took advantage of someone warming up a car Saturday night in in Madison. Car theft happened about 10.15 at night in Verona Road, the Madison police say. So what had happened is it was apparently cold, 33-year-old Madison guy who was warming up his car in the driveway of his house. 14-year-old goes by, sees the car is running, jumps in steals the car, drives off in the car. Um, the good news is that they they found it later on, um, and you know, so they, he was able to get the car back. They've caught the 14-year-old that was responsible. But this is, again, it's one of those situations where somebody, you know, walking past, it's a crime of opportunity because, you know, how dare you leave a car running in, in your driveway? I've been thinking about the big picture of this because the truth of the matter is, and it's an unfortunate commentary that that if you leave your car running nowadays and, and the car is unlocked, there is, in the mean streets of Milwaukee, and apparently now the mean streets of Madison, there is a very good chance that that car is going to be gone, even if it's only a couple minutes, even if it's one of those deals where you, you've pulled in, you're, you're just going to run into the house to drop something off, or it's a cold, snowy morning. You go out, you start the car, you put on the defroster, you try to scrape all the ice off your car, you go back inside to finish that cup of coffee and kiss your spouse and your kids goodbye. There's a good chance if you live around here, you're going to come out and your car is going to be gone. That's that's the way crime works in Tom Barrett's Milwaukee. And that's, so you just you cannot do that. But there's a growing chorus of people who are thinking that if you do that, you are at least 
partially to blame for for this. How could you be that so stupid? You know, it, it's your fault. You should know that by leaving the car running, you are inviting that sort of thing. And I actually got into a discussion about this with someone the, the other day, and they were saying, you know, I, I think it, it's almost like if you leave, they were telling me, if you leave your car running in the driveway and it's gone, it, it's almost like you, you shouldn't be able to complain because what you did was so dumb. And I said, well, okay, here's what I, let me just ask this. How far do you carry that? What if you don't leave your house locked? What if you don't leave your your front door locked? Or what if you don't leave the, the door to your garage locked? You, you've got a back door into your garage. What if that isn't locked all the time and somebody comes in and steals stuff out of your house? Is that the same as leaving your car unlocked while, while it's running? And we got into a very interesting discussion about um, – whether or not that's the same or whether it's different. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. If you leave the door to your house or the door to your apartment unlocked, are you potentially are, are you responsible if something bad happens? Are are you being derelict in your responsibilities? If you don't lock your door when you leave, and you don't lock all your doors when you leave, or maybe you leave a window open and there's a screen in it and that screen can be pushed in, and something bad happens, are you partly responsible for that bad thing happening? Do we have to protect ourselves at all times? And if we don't, should we shoulder some of the blame? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. You know, essentially, should there be ordinances that require us to lock everything up every time we leave? We discuss next. It's 1145. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 1148. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. There, there are communities around that have ordinances that say that it's against the law to leave your motor vehicle running and unattended. And the idea is, if you do that, it's so irresponsible that there's a decent chance your car is going to be stolen. What does that say? But how far do you carry that? I mean, should we have ordinances that say you can't leave your house unless the doors are locked? Because if you leave your car parked in your driveway with the motor running and the doors unlocked, it's inviting people to steal. Is it the same argument that if you leave your doors unlocked, you're inviting people to go in and, and loot? Mike, in, on, in Bayside, Mike, you're in 620 WTMJ. Hi, no, you can't have ordinances that do this because let's say uh, they're going to say, well, you know what? Your windows would break easy. Well, now you've got to get security glass. Okay, your door, you've got to get a gate put over that thing. Oh, you've right. got to have stuff in a safe now. It's yeah. like saying that a woman who wears provocative clothing is asked to be raped. No! It, well, it's. matter what I do. You don't do the bad thing. Well, well exactly. I mean, thanks. See, I, I mean, it, it's just there. There. Are, are so many things that right you wonder where you you wonder where people get this idea that we have to excuse the, the bad guys and so i i'm i'm with you when you're talking about like the house that's what i'm thinking if you say okay no you you can't you can't leave your front door unlocked well, where do you draw the line? All right, what if in the summer I don't want to turn on the air conditioning and I want to go out of the house and I want to have the windows open and I've got a screen and all you have to do is push in that screen and you can get in? Or what if 
for a matter of convenience, the, the rear door to the garage isn't locked. And so people could theoretically go in, enter that way, and then somehow get into the house. I mean, at some point in time, does do we have to stop blaming the victim? Now, I think, of course, when it comes to crime, there's all sorts of things that you can do to make it less likely that you are going to be a victim. And I will be the first to acknowledge that in today's day and age, unfortunately, you can't just let your car warm up um, with the keys in it and the car being unlocked. You need the remote starter. You need the keyless entry, what, what, whatever. You can't just leave your car unlocked and running because, again, unfortunately, you've got roving gangs of hoodlums that are apparently driving up and down the streets on cold, snowy mornings looking for people who do exactly that. And if you turn your back for a couple minutes, your car is going to be gone. But even though it's not good policy to do that, I mean, and even though it's unfortunate that that's what happens, and even though it's a bad idea, I I don't know. Are you making yourself – is that something that, that the onus then falls on you because, you know, you, you've done it? Beth in Greendale. Beth, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, I guess what I'm frustrated by all of this is it's such an easy thing to do to police the actual law-abiding citizens because they know we're going to abide by this law rather than policing the people who are actually breaking the laws because I should be able to leave my window open without worrying that I'm going to get some sort of fine or ticket for doing so. Right, or or if your car... if. Um, yes. I, I mean, and, and if your car, if it's a cold, snowy morning and you want to warm up your car before you put your baby in the car, you should be able to do that without fear that your car is going to be stolen out of the driveway. And if well, the car is going to be stolen out of the driveway, maybe that's what you could concentrate on. Why do we have so many criminals on the street that are able to do that? Jeff, and some of these laws are very conflicting because if you look at that, the one you just said about warming up your car to put a baby in the car... There are certain jackets you can't buckle your child into a seat car seat with because they're too bulky. So what am I supposed to do? I have twins. Carry them both out in blankets. I'm like, logistically, it's a nightmare. And so I just, I'm just tired of the the ones who actually follow the law, getting more and more laws put on them so that the people who break them can continue about their business. Right. I guess, and maybe this is just my my being a dinosaur, but. You kind of wish for simpler times where, okay, you could leave your door unlocked and not worry that you're going to come home and find your house cleaned out. But I guess we don't live in those times anymore, Beth. Yeah, exactly. Thanks for the call. 1153, we're going to find out what Scafidi and Billstat have on their mind next. I've seen one of the stories they have. It's really, really, really good. It was all I could do to resist talking about it myself, but I defer to my colleagues. It is 1154, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Wagner, 620 WTMJ, Scafidi and Billstat. Good stuff. Ooh. I just heard you just you just plugged yourself in there, Mr. Billstat. <laughs> Hello. We had, that, Are you okay? we, had, we had that big crack that went out. I don't know if it went out of here, yeah. but it went into my headphones. That electric personality. What do you guys right. got coming up on the show? Lots of good stuff. I love this WIA story about the kid who wanted to hug his sister, and they uh, put up the hand and said, not right now, son. And So that's causing some controversy. When are you going to do that? Uh, it's really twelve twenty out of the shoe okay. here. No, I, 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 okay, this was, this was the difference between like my dear friend Charlie Sykes. If he saw I had a good story and he liked it was a good story, he was going to do it. <laughs> I, I, I saw that when you guys posted it. 
I thought that's a great story. It actually, I thought it screams Jeff Wagner, but <laughs> but I figured. No, I, well, I thanks think, for the deferral. I figured, I figured that that would probably not be getting our relationships off to a good start. I saw that up on our website. It's a great story. So maybe I will touch on it tomorrow, but it's a great story. People will be tuned in and listening to that. So I love it. Absolutely. Oh, and by the way, it looks like finally now where they're, they're just on the cusp of getting clear there in Kenosha and Racine counties, the, the snowmageddon that they've been dealing with all morning. You, you should look. I, I did a segment just a couple minutes ago at the start of the hour. People, they, they're describing it as, as a ground blizzard. Yeah. Um, they're, and they're, if you look at our text line, people have been sending me tic, uh, pictures all morning. I mean, it's it's just nuts down there. The visibility had, was like near zero. I had a friend who started off to work and said, I can't even see where I'm going, went back home. I mean, it was that oh, bad. Yeah. So, so they up to they, 14 inches of snow down yeah. there. They might finally be clear now. It's just now starting to get all the way into the lake here there, so they should be safe here in the next, uh, hopefully within the next hour, they're completely clear. I was saying the only time I've ever put a car in a ditch was during a ground blizzard. I was driving on a, on a freeway. I couldn't see at all. I mean, it was a complete whiteout, and I, I'm following a truck, figuring, okay, maybe the truck truck drives into the ditch. Oh. I follow the truck into the ditch. Oh, <laughs> I just, my I just, gosh. I just, it, was, it was like, and then, of course, then the thing ends, and you just feel so stupid, because there really wasn't, it wasn't like there was two feet of snow on the ground, but it was 30-mile-an-hour winds. I was driving on a north-south road, and it was coming from the west, and you just couldn't see. Mm-hmm. Spooky. Mm-hmm. All right. They've got a lot of great stuff. This uh, this WIA story, well, if you're a regular listener, you know how I feel about the WIAA, and this is another one of those examples. Um, I am back 8.30 tomorrow when we do this all again. Scafidi and Bill Stat coming up. Stay tuned. It's 11.59. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ.